Welcome to the Hope Beyond Trauma podcast. Here, we aim to help trauma survivors develop and strengthen their faith and help people of faith develop and strengthen their compassion. My name is Rhoda Hostetler, and I am so excited to bring you this podcast. another episode. Y'all, I really do enjoy bringing these to you. Um, My giftings are in oratory skills. So reading, writing, I even enjoy writing essays, language learning, public speaking. If it has to do with words and crafting words to send an accurate message, I love it. I'm writing a lot of essays right now for college and to me it's time-consuming, but still enjoyable. I just wake up earlier than my kids by long enough that I can get it done, and it's not bad. So believe me when I say I'm really happy to be with you again today. Today we're going to discuss the question, is healing possible? We're going to look at definitions, how we define healing, and why it matters. And then we will look at how researchers define resilience or healing, when they do studies on this, and we're going to look at some scripture, uh, because I know I'm talking to a church crowd, and scripture does have some things to say about this. Before I get into it, though, I want to tell you that I have opened a Facebook group. So if you want somewhere where you can listen to a podcast and then go ask me a question or leave a suggestion, you know, you'd really like to hear about this certain aspect of trauma, The Hope Beyond Trauma group on Facebook is your place to do that. It is a private group, but it's visible. So if you search for it, it will come up. But once you're in it, what is posted there is basically behind a wall or behind a curtain. I'm really excited about the Facebook group. I think we're going to create a culture there where it's kind to survivors and patient with those who have never been through trauma and are seeking to understand. That's my vision for the group is kindness no matter what your background is. So is healing possible? If you ask many people, the answer would be, well, some healing is possible, but not really. Not full healing. The best a survivor can do is cope. There was one man who told us that we were, we were having a conflict, and he said, okay, he wants to know who in the group was abused, who in the group has been through trauma, because those who have that kind of background have a harder time being Christians. They have a harder time acting like Christians. And it breaks my heart to know that people out there really believe that kind of thing and are so confident in it that they will spread those beliefs. So it's, it's not just a matter of semantics. It's not just a matter of some saying, okay, It never goes back to normal, but that's not the same as saying that you never heal. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. How we define healing matters in this discussion a lot. It matters because it shapes our decisions as survivors. At what point do you keep on pursuing more and more and more healing? At what point are you free to say, hey, God has done a tremendous work. I've worked really hard. And between God and me, we have come to this place of healthiness and healing, and I'm going to go live my life. And if it pops up, it pops up, but 
it's largely behind me. At what point can you say that confidently? And if you... So it matters how we define healing. It's fair to say that we will never go back to normal. If you have a trauma story, you know this intuitively. However, I don't think that that's the best definition for healing. Because we know... We know whether it's good news or bad news, whether it's a major life change that we wanted or a major life change that we grieved, we know that major life events change us and they can sometimes change the entire course of our life. So a veteran who has seen horrific things, you cannot take that veteran's brain and cause his brain to have never seen them. Just like you cannot take a cancer survivor and cause them to forget what treatment was like. And we wouldn't even really want to do that. People can go through really difficult things and come out better. I think with healing from trauma, we have to accept that, yes, it will never go back to normal. And that's a good thing. God takes us and he can make it better than if we had never gone through it. We can be more compassionate. We can be more understanding. We can be more aware of our emotions and how we are processing them. We can be wiser in creating boundaries and sticking to boundaries. We can be more introspective in a healthy way. Are my coping methods good? Are these personal habits affecting someone else negatively? There are so many areas of our lives that we have to address as we're addressing issues of healing and wellness when we're recovering from trauma that I don't think people who have gone through trauma always address them at the same level. I prefer, instead of asking, can someone go back to normal? I prefer asking the question, can someone become truly healthy? Can you, after you've been through trauma, can you have healthy beliefs about God, yourself, those around you, and your world? Can you have healthy thought patterns? Can you lay aside the coping beliefs, such as this world is dangerous and people are out to get me? That's a belief that keeps you alive when you are in the middle of trauma, when there's a person or a group of people that literally would be willing to kill you. You kind of have to have that belief to get away from them, don't you? And yet when you take that belief on into the rest of your life where you are safe, it can hinder your ability to function well in healthy relationships. And so we have to acknowledge that those beliefs were right for that time, and they did reflect the truth of that circumstance, but they do not reflect all of life. So we, we can come to a point where we believe true things. An example of the difference between healing to get back to normal and healing to be healthy. I'll use an example from my personal life. So I cannot watch certain movies. And I don't know what the titles of all the movies are. I just know that if there is a threat of gun violence or hand-to-hand combat, my brain goes berserk. It feels so real. And the last time this happened, it was about a month ago... We were going to watch a movie. I knew that the man in this movie had spent some time overseas, I think in Afghanistan or Iraq. He was a veteran. 
And so there was going to be a short, maybe five-minute thing at the beginning that showed a war scene. I knew this going in. I knew it was a movie. I knew I was in my own living room. I knew I was with my husband. We had popcorn. Like, it was safe to watch this movie. And yet, as soon as it got to the the part that my brain can't handle, I realized my pulse is going up. I'm, I'm tensing up just remembering this. And so I started telling myself, this is just a movie. This is not real life. This is just a movie. This is not real life. This is just a movie. This is not real life. This is just a movie. This is not real life. And I jolted after I said it the fourth time. I was comforting myself like out loud. I jolted and I realized that at some point in there, I had literally curled up into a fetal position. My brain cannot handle certain threats of death. It just can't. It doesn't go there. And here's the thing, y'all. It doesn't have to. I can believe healthy things about God without watching violent movies. I can believe healthy things about myself, those around me, and my world without watching violent movies. I can have healthy thought habits and healthy relationships and healthy behaviors without watching violent movies. I do not have to push that boundary. Now, if I was dead set that healing is when I'm back to normal, that episode a month ago would really bother me. I would be like, I'm not healed. All this work, all these years, and I still can't watch violent movies. But because I don't define healing that way, and because I understand that major life events just have a lifelong impact, I can give myself that grace and say, hey, I'm going to be healthy. It doesn't mean I'm going to be exactly like I was before my trauma story began. Some researchers define healing, and this is because they have to have a measurable definition for it. In their private lives, they might define healing much the same way I just did. But they have to have a measurable answer to this question, and so their measure usually has to do with avoiding addiction, avoiding violent behaviors, um, staying in long-term committed relationships, etc. Those are the kind of measurable things that they're looking for for healing. Now for resilience, researchers have a different definition there. Resilience is defined in research as the ability to adapt to stress. So if, if we're going to define healing as, will everything go back the way it was before it ever happened? The answer is no. But that's a good answer because God can make it better. And we absolutely, yes, we can do so much more than cope. We don't, it doesn't have to always be an uphill battle. There is a point in your healing where you realize life has purpose again. Life is good again. You feel safe again. And hey, your part of the relationships that you're in is healthy. Maybe every now and then you'll have a relationship with someone where they are not healthy to you and you address that. Or you realize you you did something wrong and you address that. But for your habits, the way you treat other people, you can be healthy. And it can be so much a part of you. Your your whole habits, your healthy habits can be so much a part of you that you are doing so much better than just coping. I want to be gentle with survivors who believe that they will never heal. Because first of all, you know, and I know that healing is hard work. It's like you have this one area of your life that you know is part of your trauma story and it is messed up and it's not okay and you have to address it. 
And so you work long and hard to address it. It might be six months. It might be a year. You might go to counseling. You might read books. You might go to seminars. Whatever it is, you might make yourself accountable to someone in real life. And finally, finally, you realize that, hey, you've had a breakthrough. That area of your life has turned around and is healthy now only to realize there is another area of your life. You might, for example, come out of depression and feel so thrilled to be able to enjoy life again, only to realize that you don't really know how to keep a daily schedule because you were so depressed for so long. And so it's a very practical thing of how do I get my head back into the game and not overload myself, but also just be consistent again. You might have to struggle long and hard to learn how to create boundaries and hold them. It's healing is hard. Healing, just because I believe that healing is possible doesn't mean I believe it's a walk in the park. If it's a walk in a park, there is a hurricane going on at the same time. Like, you need shelter. This is hard work. If you are a survivor who has been told, like I was told, that you cannot and will not heal, I understand why you would believe that then. You haven't been given the permission to believe that you can heal. I'm giving you that permission now. I remember very clearly somebody telling me, and I thought, do you hear yourself when he said this? Uh, but I remained polite and I chewed on it because I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. But he, he said, you, you know, he knows there's this verse that says God's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. But when it comes to trauma survivors, they need to realize they'll just never heal completely. The best they can do is cope. It stuck with me. And it stuck with me until I was sitting in Dr. Becca Johnson's training and she's, she opened with this. She opened with, if you don't believe that survivors can heal, get out of my training. She was adamant and her dead set belief that survivors can heal. And this is a woman who has done research. She has a PhD. She, she knows her stuff. She gave me permission to believe that survivors could heal. And there in Cambodia, then I got to see that. And I'll tell you more about that later in this episode. The other, the third reason why I will be gentle with survivors who believe that healing will never come for them is for those of you who did not have access to safety or healing very soon after your trauma story began. I absolutely believe that God uses the people around us to heal us and not necessarily the counselors and pastors. He uses the everyday people who are good people and gentle people and people who would put themselves at risk in order to help another. And if you didn't have that, then I understand, and the research would say as well, that healing can be a lot harder to come by. Some of you have said that because you did not have that for so long after your trauma story began, you truly believe that God is going to give you the grace to live life well without full healing. And I understand that. So while this episode is me boldly declaring that healing is possible, I also want to be gentle and gracious with those who believe that it will not be a, a full thing in their lives at this point. However, I'm going to be a little less gentle with people of faith 
who believe that trauma survivors are permanently broken. So if you are someone who would say, God's hand is not shortened, but, or if you are someone who would say, trauma survivors have a hard time being Christian, if that is your belief, I've got some questions for you. What do people of faith have to gain from believing that God can but will not bring healing? Do you get to stigmatize the hurting? Do you get to say, there's those of us who were raised in good homes, good schools, good churches, good circumstances, and our lives went fairly well. Some pain here and there, yes, some sad stories in our lives, but nothing really major. And then there's you guys. Y'all are doomed to dysfunction. Is it, is that what's going on? Is it that you get to wash your hands of any guilt? Even while you use soft language on indefensible horrors. You get to show up in court to support a perpetrator. You get to add to the difficulty a domestic violence survivor faces. And you don't need to feel any guilt for having supported an evil person because, well, they wouldn't heal anyways. They're doomed to dysfunction anyways. They just need to realize that and just cope. Is it that you get to alleviate your own responsibility to grieve with those who are grieving? Because here's the thing, a trauma survivor can work really hard towards healing. They can achieve a tremendous amount of healing and get married and become a parent and their child has birthday after birthday and suddenly their child is the same age that the trauma survivor was when they were abused or when they experienced a horrific trauma. And suddenly the floodgates of, am I being a good enough parent? Am I protecting my kid enough? Am I overprotective? Am I hurting my kid somehow? Those can just wash over a person. And if you're a friend to that person, you can be like, I just went with you through this for the last eight years. And now this again, I'm tired of it. And so if you believe that victims can never heal, are you going to step in there when you see just how long and arduous the healing journey really is? Here's the thing, church people. I know that you are able to believe in miracles. You believe, at least many of you do, that perpetrators can be restored. You, could, you believe that they can be restored to full righteousness in Christ. Some of you go so far as to believe that this repentance and this justification means that there should be no consequences or accountability. So you believe the impossible and even, may I say, the unreasonable. But you're not willing to believe that that same powerful God who wants to restore, is able to restore a trauma survivor? Why aren't you willing to believe that God heals that generously? I hope there's a good reason to look at scripture, to look at a God who describes himself as powerful and good, a God whose son, the perfect expression of God's character, healed many individuals and still say, yeah, no, healing is impossible. I don't think there is a good reason to say that. Healing, as I describe it, has a lot to do with what we believe because what we believe guides our habits, it guides our thoughts. And I understand personally why a trauma survivor can develop coping beliefs that are accurate and true and good when they are in the middle of the trauma, but damaging when they are out of it. 
But there is a way out of those beliefs, and there is a way out of those beliefs so completely that they thrive. I'm going to read a psalm to you, and this is a psalm that describes God's character in light of his healing ability. Listen to it. Praise the Lord! How good it is to sing praises to our God! For he is gracious, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. So he's talking about the city. He gathers the outcasts of Israel, a specific group of people. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And now he's talking about the individual. Suddenly we turn and we discuss something that, if you're talking about a God who heals, this might not make sense. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Again, a God who sees both the group and the individual. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the downtrodden. He casts the wicked to the ground. That is Psalm 147 verses 1 through 6. The rest of the psalm goes on in this swirling delight in the goodness of God's care for his people. So yes, Yes, healing is possible. The ancient truths teach it. Our modern understanding of humanity through scientific studies, we're not really asking anymore if trauma survivors can heal. What they're asking is how and why some do and some don't. What are some resilience factors? So personality is one resilience factor. So if you have two sisters in the same family, same culture, near the same age, very similar influences, and you have one who is outgoing, for example, and one who is withdrawn, the outgoing one is likely to find healing faster, only because they get out there with their story, they get out there with their mess, they're quicker to take risks and be vulnerable. And so they, they might meet a few more jerks than what the withdrawn person will meet, but they will also sooner meet people who have resources or who are kind people, people who can help them heal. So if you have a withdrawn personality and you're like, oh no, don't worry. You can still mimic what is good in an outgoing personality. You can force yourself just a little bit. Don't, don't like try to be someone you're not, but you can get out there and say, hey, do you have a number for a counselor? What's a good book? It might take a little bit more work for you, um, but absolutely. One of the benefits of reading studies like this is we know, we know now that it's not just that some people magically heal and some people don't. We know that it's because some personalities tend to do certain things. And anyone can do those things, even if they don't come completely naturally to you. Emotional regulation is another factor in resilience. So someone who stuffs emotions versus someone who expresses and processes their emotions. Guess which one is connected to resilience and healing? Coping methods. I don't need to elaborate much here. Most of us, if we're being honest, we know that we have some coping methods that are healthy and we tend to, all of us tend to have some type of coping method that is a weakness to us. This stands against coping methods such as rest, conversation, with someone who understands, journaling, saying no to extra stress. And the last one, and this is why I see things the way I do with culture and the question of can people heal. Culture affects healing. Culture determines how much access a victim has to resources, 
A culture can be understanding and supportive, or as we're seeing in many churches, the church culture can be misunderstanding and unsupportive of survivors. This really matters, people. I'm going to read a quote by a researcher here. Uh, Dr. John P. Wilson says, The relationship between trauma and culture is an important one because traumatic experiences are part of the life cycle, universal in manifestation and occurrence, and typically demand a response from culture in terms of healing, treatment, interventions, counseling, and medical care. To understand the relationship between trauma and culture requires a big-picture overview of both concepts. What are the dimensions of psychological trauma and what are the dimensions of cultural systems as they govern patterns of daily living? How do cultures create social psychological mechanisms to assist its members who have suffered significant traumatic events? End quote. So basically he's saying that we know trauma and culture interact. We just don't know how much of an impact culture has on trauma, but we know it's there. You guys, when I was in Cambodia, I saw a really good example of this. So the Cambodian culture as a whole believes that once a girl is one time raped or trafficked, she is only good for one thing, to be raped or trafficked again. But Agape International Ministries in Cambodia, when they rescue a trafficked girl, they do counseling, job training, etc., and they send her back into her village, and there is a 95, I believe it's a 95% chance that she will never be trafficked again. They don't just follow them for three years or five years. They go back and check up on them for forever. They have their system set up to do that. So they have a remarkably high success rate in a culture where they should have instead a remarkably low success rate. Why? We asked them. And the answer was, they don't just heal the girl and send her back. They address the trauma beliefs. They give the job skills. They, they work on the girl for sure. They, they work on helping the girl heal for sure. But they don't send her back unless they have already gone out to the village and they have addressed what the villagers believe in order to make way for that girl to go back. And instead of being shamed, she is honored and she's welcomed. She's received. She comes back into her family, back into her friend group. And seeing that and knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt, you guys, I saw survivors heal over there. I saw them I saw people who have gone through things that I will not describe on this podcast. I have seen them be, become healthy. I've seen them believe healthy things. I have seen them gain confidence in their abilities without becoming arrogant. I've seen them set boundaries. I've seen them maintain boundaries. I've seen them do this so well. I've seen them forgive when it was time to forgive. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that healing is possible. And because of what I've seen in Cambodia, in the village aspect, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we as a culture, we as a church culture, have the ability to either cause the trauma to reverberate and reverberate for years, decades, or bring an end to it and bring peace for the survivor. We have that power. This healing journey is not all on the back of the survivor by a long shot. So what we as a culture believe it matters. It matters a lot. That's one reason why I was confident in 
asking those hard questions of those of you who seem to other survivors, seem to stigmatize them, set them apart from you, your beliefs guide your actions. So if you believe that trauma survivors are just doomed to struggle bust Christianity, they won't ever quite be the Christians that the untraumatized are. If that's what you believe, then why would you act quickly when someone is in distress? Why would you give them your best? Why would you be willing to walk with them for 10, 15, 20 years as their brain and body heal from trauma? If you believe that it's all going to be worthless in the end, they're just the best they can hope for is to be second, second-rate Christians. Eventually, I want to do an episode on the lies that survivors believe and the truth that can address those lies. And I also want to do an episode on the lies that the church believes and the truth that addresses those. I didn't mean to be yelling at those of you in church who believe those kinds of things. I don't think that very many people literally set out to make life difficult for survivors. I don't think anyone is laying awake at night going, hmm, I wonder if I can be cruel to a survivor if I say this certain thing. I don't think that's your hearts. And I think there's a lot of room to give grace because sometimes, and every single one of us is guilty of this, sometimes we make mistakes um, and we, we do things that are hurtful simply because we don't understand and we have not taken the time to listen to it from the other person's perspective. And maybe we haven't examined our beliefs in light of scripture. Maybe we've examined scripture and like the person who says, yeah, God's hand is not shortened, but maybe we have literally looked at scripture and still chosen to hang on to our own belief. So to recap this episode, Yes, healing is possible. It doesn't mean that the brain and the body will go back to the way it was before. But our belief patterns, our thought patterns, our habits, um, our, our way of life can be so rich and so healthy that it can be better than it was before. So not only is healing possible, thriving is possible. We can do so much more than cope. Although we will, yeah, we do talk about coping methods when we're talking about a lot of stress or say you've been living a life of healing for six months and then you have one day that's a really rough day. How do you cope? That's a valid discussion. And just because we do discuss coping at times doesn't mean that your whole lifestyle is a lifestyle of coping. I believe you can thrive. And I believe that it is by the power of God that you can thrive. And Resilience factors include culture. Culture is, in fact, a pretty big one because culture has a lot to do with whether or not a survivor gets assistance in a prompt way. And that time factor matters so much in the healing journey. Other resilience factors include healthy coping methods, the ability to regulate and process our emotions well, and then personality, having the the willingness to reach out for help and understanding that you are taking a risk every time you do that. You really are. But people who reach out for help are people who eventually find help as well. So healing is possible. Look at the stars tonight. 
The same wisdom and power and care and knowledge that went into creating every star you see and the systems out there in the universe is the one who is healing you as an individual and watching over us as a group of downtrodden. Healing isn't just about avoiding socially unacceptable practices like researchers look for, nor is it reasonable to expect God to make things back to normal when he's really not in the back to normal business. He's really into the make this amazing business. He makes it better. Healing starts at the core level of our beliefs and it shows up in our thoughts, habits, and relationships. And for those of you who are in church who are reeling from the words that I I said, from the questions that I asked you, I'll tell you this, I'm not above having to repent of what I believe. And after several years, over a decade, I think, of looking at healing as this journey of what do I believe and am I willing to change my belief to match truth, I have learned that when I need to change a belief, what I don't do, I don't read and read and read and read to try to argue the truth into my being. What I do instead when I realize that scripture says something that goes against what I personally feel and believe, I tell God, hey, this is where I'm at with it. And this is where you appear to be. Would you please help me? It's a call to repentance over our false beliefs. You might have to, if you're a survivor, you might have to address the belief that your sexuality is inherently shameful. It's not. You might have to address the belief that the people around you are out to get you. You might have to address a belief that what you do doesn't matter because your actions never have meaningful consequences. Actions do not have consequences when you're in an abusive relationship or the consequences they do have. Your best actions can just get you more abuse. But once you're out of an abusive relationship in even a partially healthy relationship, actions really do have consequences. And that might be a belief that you have to address. And the same goes for the church. If you listen to this and you're like, you know, I, I really, I don't believe victims can heal. You, you need to ask yourself, is it that you don't believe God is capable of healing victims? Or do you believe he is capable but is unwilling? Because if you read scripture, I just read one psalm. There are so many other passages that describe God as a healer. And when Jesus came, he exemplified that. We have to believe that God is able and willing to heal. And especially for those of you who believe this so strongly that you are lenient to violent people. If you believe that God heals a violent person, why do you believe that he won't heal the person who suffered the violence? I I don't understand it. So those are some things that you might need to pray through. And if it really bothers you or if you want to ask a question, um, go ahead and join the Facebook group and find a kind way, honor the kindness in that group, but find a kind way to ask the question and I'll be happy to discuss this with you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for listening today. Whether you are a trauma survivor or someone who loves a trauma survivor, I hope you leave this podcast with an awareness of our good God's presence in your story and a readiness to live his love towards the people in your life.